Good morning. You got your Bible with you? Let me see it if you got your Bible. It may be a phone or a tablet or... Wow, that's amazing. Amazing to see so many copies of God's Word, and I'm so glad that you have brought it with you. You know, last week we began talking about... Uh, or as we began talking about the Bible last week, we talked about what was on the outside of your Bible. If you'll remember, on, on the spine of your Bible, it probably is imprinted... Holy Bible. It may say study Bible, but most of them probably say Holy Bible. We talked about what that means uh, last Sunday, and I reminded you that really that term, Bible, is not a biblical term. And it's not a bad term, it's just a term that we have placed on the book that God never used the word Bible to describe this book. Again, I'm not saying that's a bad word, it's a good word, but God used some more descriptive terms to describe the contents of this book, and we looked at two of them last Sunday. One of the words that God uses to describe the contents of this book is the word scriptures. Literally, it could be translated the sacred writings. In other words, God had something to say to you, so he wrote it down. And so Jesus often used the term scriptures as he described the contents of this book. And then we said also there's another term that God uses to describe the contents of this book, and that is the Word of God. This is not simply the mere words of men. This is the words of God. And then the last Sunday I ended the message by challenging you with this. I said, don't just read your Bible out of guilt, and don't read your Bible out of habit, and don't read your Bible to satisfy somebody else. But I challenged you this week to read your Bible because... God has something to say to you. And I hope you've been reading it this week. And today, the final message in this series, the series called Shaped by the Words, the final message in the series today could be the most important. I want you to open God's Word today to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. You know, we're living in a culture that no longer accepts the authority of Scripture. Uh, the phrase, the Bible says, doesn't carry as much weight as it used to. You know, when I was younger, growing up, and somebody says, well, the Bible says, that settled it. All they had to say was, well, the Bible says, and then that was the end of the discussion, end of the argument, because if the Bible said it, then that settled it. That's not the world we're living in today. Culture is changing rapidly, and for many people, to say the Bible says, it simply doesn't carry the weight that it used to. But listen to me, church, for the Christian, for you and I, we need to make sure that we are still freely and willingly saying the Bible says. For you and I, this should still be our foundation for life, right? So regardless of whether culture likes the phrase, the Bible says, it really is the foundation for our lives. And we're not going to back away from that. We don't need to back away from saying, the Bible says. I like the way Spurgeon said it. Spurgeon said, nobody outgrows Scripture. The book widens and deepens with the, with the years. You don't outgrow the Bible. You don't get to the point where you're suddenly more enlightened and you no longer need the Bible. No, nobody, none of us outgrows Scripture. Now, I understand the people around you may not like what the Bible says. 
the people in your dorm or the people in your family or some people at your work, they may not want to hear what the Bible says. But if we as Christians do not have as the core and the bedrock of, bedrock of our faith the declaration of what God says, we will not be prepared to face the storms and the temptations that come our way. J.D. Greer reminded me this week as I was listening to a podcast, he said, you know, Billy Graham's most famous phrase was, the Bible says. He said it over and over and over, the Bible says, the Bible says. And whenever Billy Graham was confronted by somebody, his response was always, well, the Bible says. Uh, I've seen Billy Graham on uh, Larry King, and Larry King is not a Christian, and Larry King would push back a little bit and say, well, what about this, Billy, and what about this? And Billy Graham's response was always, well, Larry, the Bible says. See, that, you know what you call that? You call that a Scripture-centered life. Scripture-centered life. Ladies and gentlemen, can I say to you as your pastor, you can always trust what the Bible says, and you should always follow what the Bible says, and you will never outgrow what the Bible says. So today, we're going to be looking at what is, how do you and I live a Scripture-centered life? What does that look like? So I've asked you to turn to Matthew chapter 4 to get the context. We're actually going to start in chapter 3, verse 16. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting or landing on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. So here's what we're reading about so far, that Jesus is beginning his ministry. He was baptized to signal the beginning of his ministry. And in verse 17, it announces, or God announces in verse 17, that he loves Jesus and he announces his approval of Jesus. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now, we're not surprised by that at all. But what is surprising is what happens next. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then. And the word then means right after. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. In other words, as soon as his baptism was completed, his 40-day wilderness temptation experience began. Some people have the mistaken idea that once you get baptized, that that kind of ends the devil's messing around in your life. I, I really like what uh, Jerome said about that. One of the church fathers, Jerome, said, baptism does not drown the devil. I wish I'd thought of that. That's a, that's a good statement. Baptism does not drown the devil. No, he's still going to be active. He's still going to be active in, in your life. And here's the surprising part. Jesus didn't wander into the wilderness. He didn't wander his way into temptation. The Bible says that the Spirit of God led him there. Look at it again. I don't want you to take my word for it. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. So we need to ask this question, why would God do that? 
Why would God lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? I think there's at least two reasons. Probably more than two reasons, but two prominent reasons are these. Number one, Jesus demonstrated his holiness and his worthiness to be our Savior. You see, in the Jordan River, in his baptism, it was declared that he was God's Son. But in the wilderness, in the testing, he demonstrated that he was God's Son. You see, the father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He declared that at his baptism, but in the wilderness, in the testing time, Jesus showed why the father was well pleased with him. See, up until this point, no one, watch this, no one had been able to resist Satan's temptations. Starting with Adam, all the way through, there was not a person who had ever lived who had ever been able to stand up to Satan and to his temptation to sin. But beginning in the wilderness experience, Jesus resisted the temptations that Satan put his way. At his, the beginning of his ministry, through his entire life, he demonstrated his holiness and his worthiness to be our Savior. You see, the reason he could die for our sins is because he lived a sinless life. So he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God to demonstrate his worthiness to be the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. There's a second reason as well. Number two, Jesus exposed Satan tactics and showed us that we can have victory over sin. Jesus exposed the devil's method of operation. He exposed it and showed us how we can overcome temptation as well. Now, you know the story. I'm sure that Jesus was tempted three times. And with each temptation, it was an attempt to keep Jesus from fulfilling his God-given responsibility, fulfilling his God-given assignment. But watch this. Your name doesn't have to be Jesus to know what that feels like. You see, your temptation with lust is not just a temptation with lust. It is a temptation to keep you from fulfilling your God-given assignment. Your temptation with alcohol, your temptation with that affair, your temptation to lie is not just a temptation with that sin. It is your temptation that Satan is giving you to keep you from fulfilling your God-given assignment in life. God wants to do something in your life and God wants to do something through your life and Satan wants to stop it. So every temptation that comes your way is a temptation to keep you off track. I, have a, uh, I had a friend in seminary named Ed Litton, and Ed once said, Satan's real mission is to, is to divert us from our real mission. Make sure you get that. Satan's real mission is to divert us from our real mission. You know what he was trying to do with Jesus in the wilderness? To divert him from his real mission. He's still doing it today. But remember this. Remember this, church. When it comes to temptation, there's always more at stake than just that moment in time. An example is in this first temptation, turning the stones to bread. Let's read it again. Verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I think that's the biggest understatement in all the Bible. Have you ever tried to fast? After one day, you're hungry. Halfway through the day, 
you're hungry. I think the longest I've ever fasted, I think I've had fasted three days, and I was hungry. I know I've fasted at least two days, but I think I fasted three days at one time. But I can imagine fasting 40 days. I read books about pastors who do that, and they fast 40 days and 40 nights. But I, I can imagine after 40 days, indeed, you would be hungry. Now, look how Satan came to him in verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, and, and that's a little misleading in the NIV. Some translations translate it better this way. Since you are the Son of God. Satan was not questioning the fact of Jesus' sonship. He was tempting him to misuse it. Since you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. He was tempting him to misuse his power, to misuse what he was there to do. So, if or since you're the Son of God, you can just turn these stones into bread. Watch this. Since you are the Son of listen, listen. Since you are the Son of God, you turn these stones into bread. Did you, do you understand that every temptation is a you temptation? Every temptation is aimed at you. Every temptation that you have to go through is a temptation trying to trip you up. Every temptation is geared for your, your inner desires. It's an appeal to your inner desires. Let me show it to you in Scripture. Verse 3, the tempter came and said, If you are or since you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Look at verse 5 and 6. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If or since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. And, and Satan actually quotes Scripture. Verse 8 and 9, Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this will I give, what church? You, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Every temptation is a you temptation. Satan's goal is to get you to focus on you rather than on God. What you don't have, what you need, what you deserve, what you desire. And if you're a Christian, what are you going to do about these temptations? Because they are very times, or many times, they are temptations that feel like, he's right. I do need to turn these stones into bread. Because I'm hungry. He's right. I am hungry and, and I do have the power to turn these stones into bread. If you're a Christian, how are you going to respond to those you temptations? You respond to it the way Jesus did. You know how he responded? Jesus responded to the you temptation with a God response. Don't miss that. Verse 4. Jesus answered. What's the first three words there? It is written. It is written. Jesus answered with a God response. It is written. Man does not live on bread alone. Watch this. But on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Underline that. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus was saying there's something more important here than what I'm feeling. There's something more important here than my hunger. And there's something more important here than what you're suggesting, Satan. And the thing that's more important is this. What God says. It is written. This is what God says. Oh, and don't miss by the fact that Jesus pointed back to the Old Testament. 
Don't don't miss the fact that he was quoting Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 8.6. And in every temptation, he did that. He quoted from the Old Testament. In fact, in every temptation, he quoted from Deuteronomy. It's a pretty good book. You might want to read it sometime. Jesus quoted the Old Testament. That's another example from last Sunday. We're not going to unhitch from the Old Testament. We need the Old Testament Scriptures. And here's another example of that. Now, Look at verse 7 and verse 10. Jesus did it again and again. You see, he kept pointing back to what God says. Jesus answered, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He kept pointing back to what God says. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible is not just information we know. It is truth we are to obey. And so every time... Jesus didn't just point to Scripture. He pointed to Scripture. He was to obey. That's what he's talking about in verse 7. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is not just information I need to know. This is something I need to obey. That's what he's talking about in verse 10. Away from me, Satan, for it's written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. This is not just information to know. This is truth we need to obey. You see, each time Jesus was confronted by the enemy, He quoted Truth. He quoted God. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, when you face a you temptation, you need a God response. That's what we mean by having a Scripture-centered life. A Scripture-centered life asks this question, what does God say? What does God say? And then you respond to what God says. Because we all face those times when we need to center our, our decisions on something more than just what we think at the moment. What you think at the moment may or may not be accurate. What you think at the moment may or may not be the right thing to do. You need something beyond what you think at the moment. You need to know what does God say. A week or two ago, my phone buzzed, and I looked at it, and it was my daughter, Lauren, and she texted me, and she said, Daddy, someone thinks that they saw Sherlock get hit on Airy Springs Road. Can you go see if it's Sherlock and bury him? That's what the text said. Let me give you the context. Um, Lauren, after she got married, moved into their house, and Sherlock, her cat, apparently didn't like the house, and he ran away. And so Lauren has been all upset about Sherlock being gone and Sherlock's missing and all that kind of thing. And so a week or two ago, she sent me that text. Daddy, somebody think that they think they saw Sherlock get hit by a car. He's laying on the side of the road at Airy Springs Road. Could you go see if it's him? And if it is, could you bury him? Okay, honey, I'll go see. And so I ran over to Airy Springs Road and, and I pull up and, and I finally find the cat. And I look at the cat and I thought, yep, that's him. Or is it him? And I looked at him and I looked at him and I, he's got his markings. He's about the same. I finally said, yep, that's him. And I called Lauren and said, honey, I got him. That, that's him. He, I'm sorry, but, but he got hit. He's, he's laying here dead. And she started crying on the phone. And, and as I was talking to her, I said, honey, Sherlock's gray. I mean, I hadn't seen him in a long time, but he's gray, right? Yeah, Daddy, he's gray. Well, this cat kind of looks beige. But he does look gray. I don't know if it's him or not. 
And so what I did was, I said, I'll meet you at your house. And so I picked up the dead cat and I put it in the trunk of my car. And I drove to Lauren's house and Lisa came with Lauren and, and I opened up the trunk and Lauren looked, over, looked at it and Lisa looked at it and I looked at it and for five minutes we debated whether or not that was Sherlock. Lauren got pictures from her phone. She got her phone out. She started looking at the phone and looking at the cat, looking at the phone, looking at the cat. It had the markings of the cat. It was the same, shape, the same size as the cat. A little bit more beige, but, but it could be him. Maybe he's lost weight. And we debated this for five minutes. Whether this, finally, we decided this is not Sherlock because Sherlock has gray feet and this cat has white feet. Now what do I do? Have you ever had a dead cat in the back of your car that didn't belong to you? There's, there's not a lot of good options for that. So I decided, I'm going to go throw him back in the ditch. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to throw him. I was going to lay him back in the ditch. I decided that's the best thing. I mean, what else are you going to do? You, you got a dead cat in the back of your car. You got to put it somewhere. So I I was going to go lay him back in the ditch. And then my daughter Lauren said, Daddy, if that really was Sherlock and somebody else found him, I would hope they would do the right thing and bury him. (laughs) So I'm in my dress clothes. I get a shovel. I pick the dead cat up. I go over into the field and I bury the cat. If you're missing a cat, I might know where it's buried. Now, why did I bury the cat? Here's the reason. It wasn't because I wanted to. It wasn't because I thought this is the best option. I buried the cat because of what Lauren said. I'm going to tell you, if you're going to live a Scripture-centered life, you'll find yourself doing some things sometimes not because you want to, but because of what God said. And you may not always like what God says. You may not even agree with what God says. But the issue is not, do you like it or agree with it? The issue is, what are you going to do with what God says? Are you going to obey because it is written? Or are you going to ignore it because it's more convenient? Are you going to obey because this is what God says, or are you going to say, I think I've got a better idea. I think I've got a better approach. I think this feels right for me. The primary tool that God will use in your life to bring about spiritual growth is what He has said in this book. The primary tool that God will use in your life to protect you from evil and temptation is what He has said in this book. You see, listen. Temptation is always, always, write this down. Temptation is always a test of your faith and not just of your self-control. Temptation is always a test of your faith and not just of self-control. A test of your faith. Will I obey God? Will I believe God? 
Will I trust God even when I don't want to do it? Temptation is always a test of your faith. Can I believe and trust that God will meet this need? Can I believe and trust that God's going to help me? Can I believe and trust that God's going to come through? Can I believe and trust that God is going to be with me? It's always a test of your faith, not just of your self-control. Because you see, there's so much at stake in temptation. It's not just that moment. The thing that's also at stake is what God wants to do through your life beyond that moment. Temptation for Jesus was not just the moment. Turn these stones into bread. The temptation was what God wanted to do in and through His life beyond that moment. A lot was hanging in the balance beyond that moment. So the question is, will I lead a Scripture-centered life or am I going to live a self-centered life? You're either following God's path for your life or you're creating your own. And the best way to to confront a lie is not with your reasoning. The best way to confront a lie from the enemy is with the truth of God's Word and say, the Bible says, because this is truth. This is truth. So when Satan attacks you, you can do the same thing Jesus did. You can quote Scripture. You see, the Bible says should still be the foundation for your life. The Bible says is not something we ever outgrow. The Bible says is something you can lean on every day of your life. And that's one of the reasons I'm asking you to read through the Bible with me this year. I told you last week, and we've got them out now, that beginning in February, we're going to be reading through 10 books of the Bible in 2019. Just 10 books that every Christian ought to read and know and understand. And I've chosen 10 books. We could have chosen lots of other ones, but I've chosen 10 books that I I just feel like you need to read it and reread it and know it and understand it. And so... Uh, these are out wherever you pick up bulletins. These are out now. In the first service, we ran out and had to go print some more. Uh, If we by chance run out, I don't think we will, but if by chance we run out, we're starting February 1. Just start in Genesis, read two chapters a day until you get back to church and get you another copy, okay, in case we run out. But pick this up. Here's what we're doing. We're going to read 10 books throughout the, the year of Uh, 2019 and each month focus on one book and then that Sunday evening we're going to be studying that book so throughout February on Sunday nights we're going to be studying the book of Genesis and throughout the morning or throughout the day we're going to ask you to read through the book of Genesis and by the way that corresponds with your BSF lesson that that was intentional so that together as a church family we have focused time around God's word trying to learn what the Bible says Because when Satan came to Jesus to tempt him, the way he was defeated was not through ingenuity. It was not through cleverness. It was by simply declaring, this is what the Bible says. This is not just truth to know. It is truth to obey. Amen?
And as you obey the truth that is in this book, it will indeed shape your life. Shaped by the Word is our goal. Let me pray with you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Can I remind you something else that the Bible says? The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's every one of us. We all sin. We all struggle with our own self-deceit. We all struggle with giving in to temptation. The Bible says we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible also says, but God demonstrates His love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, He's the only one that ever lived a sinless life. He's the only one that, that ever defeated Satan every time he faced him. He's the only one who died on a cross as a perfect sacrifice for your sins and mine. And that's why the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Would you put your faith in Christ today? Believing in your heart God raised Him from the dead after He died on the cross for your sin. Confessing with your mouth that Jesus is going to be the Lord of my life from this day forward. If you'll do that, the Bible says He'll give you a new life and also an eternity in heaven. Father, thank You in the name of Jesus that You wrote down for us Your Word. You didn't just declare it. You didn't just... Tell us about it, but you wrote down your word. You had something to say to us, and you wrote it down. Treasure it. May we read it. May we obey it. In Jesus' name I pray.